Tuesday edition Pro Football Talk Live, NBCSN. And for the last time ever, I will be saying NBC Sports Radio. The NBC Sports Radio network goes away today. I guess it could resurrect at some point. But Westwood One has been operating the network for the past several years. They have exercised their prerogative, although I disagree with it, to end the radio network as of today. So the PFT Live radio show on NBC Sports Radio goes away after today, but it doesn't matter. If you're watching on NBCSN, we're still going to be here. If you're listening on Sirius XM 211, we're still going to be there. If you're listening on TuneIn, we're still going to be there. If you're listening to the podcast, we're still going to be there. If you're streaming at NBCSports.com, we're still going to be there. We're still here, Chris. We're, we're like here, baby. We're still here. We are. We're still here. I'm still here in my living room, and uh, this is good. I'm, I'm, I don't, I still feel weird doing the show here. I can't even lie. I it just does not feel normal. I wish I had my mic in front of me. I wish I was in the studio, but it is what it is. You got to play on the road every now and then you got to deal with some crowd noise. You got to audible. And I think we're doing okay. You're, you're, you're at home. There's an iron. You're not on the road. You're at home for my work. This is on the road right now. This is not my home is studio six at NBC sports. When it comes to the show right now, I'm playing in like, yeah, I'm playing on, I'm playing in different territory. I don't feel comfortable. I'm not in my setting. Well, and you know what? Everybody's a little discombobulated now and we continue to provide people or at least try to provide people with a sense of normalcy, a little distraction, a little diversion, a lot of bad news out there. And, and you need to keep posted on what's happening. I think there is a point where you can become fatigued on it. And I think everybody needs to find their balance. I found mine. I can only consume an hour of it a day, maybe an hour and a half. Other than that, because you get, look, in an hour to an hour and a half, you get what you need. You don't have to constantly be watching and monitoring and consuming or it will wear you down. Get that hour to an hour and a half a day and then move on to other things and focus on the fact that you're home with your family. Chris, you can go take care of your chickens. You're the new chicken king. We, we had you as the Tiger King yesterday. You can also, you can literally be the Chicken King because you have chickens. I recommend that you not get tigers. So, uh, yeah, but, but there is that balance. Get your exercise, find a way to reduce and deal with stress, find a way to not go to the refrigerator every five minutes. That has been a challenge for me at times. And, uh, and we'll try to get you through a couple of hours every morning here on PFT Live. All right. Changes galore for the New England Patriots. A lot of veteran players leaving in free agency. The biggest name, obviously, Jamie Collins. I mean, Tom Brady, now a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Matthew (laughs) Slater, who has been a fixture for that organization for years, special teams captain. He made it clear yesterday in a conference call with the media, the standard doesn't change at all. The pillars we stand upon, they don't change. We have to go into the season expecting more from ourselves than anyone else in the building or outside the building expects from us. If we don't, you shouldn't even step foot in the building because we're already going to be beat. You have been in that building. You have lived in that environment. And I think, Chris, you can attest to the fact that regardless of who the players are, that's the attitude that's been baked in by Bill Belichick over the years, and it's not going to change. No, it's not. The band will keep marching on. I mean, listen, I, I really would expect that there's not even a reference to Tom Brady you know, if and when, whenever that happens, you have your first team meeting in New England. They're going to go forward as planned. They're going to hold Jared Stidham as the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots to a standard in practice as high or higher than Tom Brady. They're going to expect the practice to function at that very same level it did when Brady was there. So there's going to be no excuses. They don't bat an eye in New England, and they have the supreme confidence in their system, their coaching staff, the way of life and how the players like Matthew Slater and others there that really understand the culture on a day-to-day basis 
that that is going to help them win games, let alone how we talk about their coaches being brilliant. And I think they outcompete a lot of coaches in football on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, even in the offseason. So there's still a lot of greatness to be had there in the New England organization. One of the things you said in the aftermath of Tom Brady's selection of the Buccaneers that continues to resonate with me, the idea that some teams may have shied away from Tom Brady because they didn't want to become exposed as to how poorly they compare to an organization like the Patriots when Tom Brady shows up and realizes, man, now I know why you stink. Now I know why you don't compete for championships because this organization, this building is nothing like the building that Bill Belichick has built in New England. No, it's just a, it's not a dip, dip your toe in, the water to gauge the temperature type organization. No, it's just jump in and let's go. It's time to go. You know, I can remember just even with Josh McDaniels, who's a little bit of a mini me to Bill Belichick. You know, we had our first day of practice with the Denver Broncos. You think, hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to wear helmets. We'll get a little used to the, you know, the football and moving around. Nope. He wanted us to wear our shoulder pads. Hey, you might as well put them on. You're going to have to throw with them anyways. Start wearing them from day one. It's just it's an organization that's so detailed, so buttoned up, uh, has a purpose and a plan on a daily basis. They maximize their days with, you know, an unbelievable ability to uh, really, you know, just fit a lot in as far as work, classroom study. Uh, They're very efficient that way to make the most of their time, too, let alone their coaches will sleep in the facility or work 20 hours a day and be at the facility and go home for just a little while. So, and I think this is an organization and a coaching staff that will be motivated by the fact that Brady's not there, just like Brady's going to want to stick to the Patriots. I think the Patriots are going to want to show the world too, that, Hey, we're not just some one player, one trick pony here. We can do it without even the great Tom Brady. And the options at quarterback for now are second-year fourth-rounder from 2019, Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer, who is back for his third stint with the Patriots, also Cody Kessler on the depth chart, plus whoever else they may happen to acquire as the offseason continues to unfold, whether it's in the draft or free agency. But we've now seen defensive captain Devin McCourty, defensive player of the year for the entire National Football League, Stephon Gilmore, and most recently Matthew Slater, special teams captain, praising Jarrett Stidham, talking up Jarrett Stidham. And it tells me he's going to be the starter, at least to start the 2020 season, Chris. We've got three different guys, important, influential guys in that locker room who saw what he could do last year in practice. Gilmore talked about how it challenged the defense. It made the defense better. McCourty said the, the same thing. And, and, and Slater has been there. You know, when you're a, a special team stalwart, you get to observe a lot. And he's seen a lot. And he's seen things he likes from Stidham. So, you know, it sounds like he's already got the locker room won over before he even has to play a single game as the starter. Well, I, I think they see the potential and the talent there. That's the one thing I heard from the beginning last year. You know, I heard it from some people working up in New England. You know, saw some players who raved about him as well. And I'll stand by what I said again last week, Mike. You know, I, Jared Stidham was a first-round pick. You know, he was one of those guys that slipped through the crack because the team fell apart at Auburn, and we all blamed the quarterback, and it had nothing to do with the quarterback. New England is amazing at evaluating the quarterback position, and they have a certain style in which they look for. That's why they hit a home run with Tom Brady, you know, in the sixth round because they stuck to their formula as far as, 
you know, bit, height, weight, speed, certain formula as far as what they like at the quarterback position. And they like pure throwers of the football. That's why they take chances on a guy like Ryan Mallett. They drafted Rohan Davey back in the day, if you remember, from LSU. Because they want guys to go, man, we want to be able to push the ball down or have a quarterback that will stand in the pocket and throw rifles all over the field. Stidham can do that. Stidham really reminds me as a player, Mike, my comparison to him was Tony Romo. I thought he was a stronger-armed Tony Romo when I watched him at Auburn. I'm not a, a surprised to hear the praise for him. You know, I've been hearing it, and I saw it on film when I watched him and evaluated him coming on the draft. I think he's he's got a chance to be a, a, a longtime starting quarterback in the NFL. Doesn't it strike you as odd that we have so many Patriots players who are going out of their way to praise Jarrett Stidham? And I say that because I recall Terrence Knighton being on the show after he had spent some time in New England, and he shared the story of how he was complimenting a teammate following a training camp practice, and he got called out in the next team meeting by Bill Belichick right. for doing it. Belichick said, uh, you're not an expert. You're not a D-line expert. We don't need you evaluating guys. I mean, what does Belichick think about McCourty and Slater and Gilmore not doing their jobs, right? It's do your job, and your job isn't go out and praise the quarterback or evaluate the quarterback's potential performance based upon what you saw from him in practice last year. That's not your job. Do you think Belichick is happy that his faith in Stidham is being validated before the guy even plays? Or do you think Belichick is thinking, wait, this isn't the way we do things? Well, no, I think he, he, he's probably okay with this in this situation. First off, the three guys we're talking about, Gilmore, Slater, McCourty, they're in the trust tree with Bill Belichick. Those are like his guys, ultimate professionals, you know, know how to work and practice and do everything the New England way to a T. You know, the other thing we got to take into account here, Mike, you know, and you brought it up, they're not with the team right now. I think if these comments continued to happen during OTAs and training camp, Belichick would get up there in a team meeting and look at one of them and go, who the hell made you the team spokesman? <laughs> Who the hell told you to have the State of the Union addressed on the evaluation of players? Yes, I think he would even say that to that group. But right now, with the State of the Times and Brady and the panic up in New England, and he can't believe this, I'm sure he's happy to hear some of his trusted players say some positive things about a guy just to, to help the propaganda of the, of the situation behind Jared Stenham a little bit. And, and I don't know if – it's a byproduct of people being so focused on the public health and economic crisis, or maybe people just accepted that it was inevitable, but I really haven't sensed a, a huge negative blowback against the Patriots or against Tom Brady for the fact that no. those two have divorced after 20 years. I, I think everybody can understand that it was an amazing 20 year run. You know, it's, it is business. It's the most cutthroat business in, in our country in a lot of ways, certainly in professional sports, the NFL is. So I think people are able to realize that. And I think anybody who knows football or is paying attention to that could realize, man, it can't be easy playing for Bill Belichick and having that demand and maybe not getting that, you know, joyful respect all the time like you like. And it was a great run. It's the greatest run we've ever seen. It's not even close. And I think New England fans, more than anything, are just appreciative of that. But you're right. It hasn't been a huge blowback. And I think New England fans also saw a little bit, you know, uh, you know, just some some scratches and, and, and dents in the armor last year with Brady's play to know that, hey, it's getting close to the end anyways. And I think they can understand that from the football standpoint.
Yeah, one of the things that really stunned me in the aftermath of Brady picking the Buccaneers, the report from Vic Tafer of The Athletic, that the Raiders weren't willing to go to $25 million a year because they evaluated the film of the last two seasons and they just didn't think it justified it. And I think that's kind of the, the mirror image of Bill Belichick on the inside knowing exactly what Brady is currently doing, what he's capable of doing, how he's executing in relation to what his expectations are, what the play expects, how he's how he has performed in the past versus how he's performing now. And that that's always been one of Belichick's gifts to to make the decision to move on from somebody one year too early instead of one year too late. And it could be that he's picking the exact right time to move on. Yeah, I I, I think it's fair to, to, to say that for sure. You know, hey, listen, he, he almost did this a long time ago when he drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in the 2014 draft. You know, 2011, 12, 13, they were underwhelming years for Tom Brady. They were not the best year of his career. You know, if, if you remember, I got a lot of heat from New England fans at that time for saying, I don't think he's one of the five best quarterbacks in football during that three-year period. Listen, neither did they. They didn't draft Jimmy Garoppolo because they were like, oh, Brady's so awesome and he's going to play six more years. Let's draft a quarterback just to let him sit here and do nothing so we can trade him one day. No, I think they were afraid. He was getting ready to make that move. But then Brady kind of re- resurrected his career really in 2014 after that on to Cincinnati game. And he changed his style of play, became more aggressive. Uh, now, the big thing is to what you're talking about with the Raiders. Yes, you know, I think you could watch. And I said this with New England last year. It was the first year in a long, long time. Tom Brady did not win them one game. I didn't come away going, man, if they didn't have Brady, they wouldn't have won that game. There was them one time. They won it through their defense. He didn't make mistakes. And they just played good complimentary football. And I think New England saw that, too. And I think the Raiders probably saw that added to the fact that he's a little unwilling to hold the ball in the pocket. He's not going to move around and make a ton of plays that way at the age of 43. And that probably scared some teams off in the evaluation process. Bill Belichick was never bashful about drafting quarterbacks, even when Tom Brady was the unquestioned starter. And they would use third rounders on guys like Ryan Mallett, third rounder on Jacoby Brissett, second rounder on Jimmy Garoppolo. They right. drafted quarterbacks. It felt like every year. And and I feel like the – and I remember talking to Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston about this. The drafting of Jimmy Garoppolo pissed Tom Brady off and contributed yeah. to that that second act that, that resulted in a 10-year drought of Super Bowl championships becoming another dynasty where they won three more. I mean, they went with – they had three for a decade. And in 2014 – the on to Cincinnati year after that game. Next thing you know, they win the Super Bowl that year. They win the Super Bowl two years later. They said they win the Super Bowl two years after that. They've won three. They'd won three in uh, Brady's seasons after 2014. And uh, I think that 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 and I think that's part of why Brady had enough of Bill Belichick because sure. there's that constant doubt, that constant that constant poking and prodding to try to get more out of him. You can only take so much of that, Chris. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. But I will say that drafting of Jimmy Garoppolo changed Tom Brady. It made him a better player. You know, there was no threat to him in 2011, 12, 13. You know, he had, hey, the Denver Broncos in the 2013 AFC Championship game decided to stop LeGarrette Blunt and just left pass plays on a silver platter for Tom Brady to hit. And he didn't. So there was issues there. You know, he was one of the worst downfield throwers in football. But to Brady's credit, and this is where Tom Brady is just absolutely amazing, he changed his throwing motion a little bit. 
He stopped worrying about completion percentage and dink and dunk over the middle. He became more aggressive within the confines of the offense. It opened the offense up more. It made them more dangerous on the offensive side of the ball. And that's where, yes, it's amazing. I mean, we saw, yes, a a second dynasty run. And a big part of that was because Tom Brady changed his game and, and really played at a really high level for the last four or five years. Starting tomorrow, we'll be able to continue this conversation. For now, though, we continue to be constrained by that crappy radio clock that requires us to take a break. We'll be back with more PFT Live. They're going to cancel the show. Too bad it's already canceled. More PFT Live right after this. What the Roman Coliseum was to the first century is what Cowboy Stadium is to the 21st century. Welcome to Jerry World in Arlington, Texas, a sports and entertainment palace that stands alone and has raised the bar to an entirely new level. And from their locker room, through a lounge, through a gauntlet of friendly fans. Good protection. Eli with time. Wide open is Smith. And he will dive into the end zone to put the Giants on top again. What a move by Steve Smith. Earlier I told you how this kid's one of the great route runners I've seen. But he just simply put the little okie doke right here on Skandrick. Out, up, goodbye. Now they give the ball to Felix Jones and he goes in for a touchdown. So Barber does all the heavy lifting, that 35-yard run, and then Jones pays it off, and the Cowboys check can out. take the lead with the extra point. Sorry, I'll check out Kozar coming into the hole and just absolutely wiping out Danny Clark. Great blocks inside. The left guard pulls around, and look at that block. You'll see it tonight. The first game ever played at what was Cowboys Stadium is now AT&T Stadium. Giants won the game. 33 to 31, eight lead changes. Again, 9.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. And after that game, Chris, Eli Manning went in and wrote on the wall. 9-20-2009, first win in the new stadium. A little spunk there from Eli Manning. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, hey, that, and, and that became a thing, I think, uh, in Dallas, where if the visiting team won, they, were, they signed the wall there. But, hey, I do the same type of thing. Stamp Jerry's world right off the bat. Uh, leave the bad taste in the Cowboys' mouth. Uh, but that was a fun game. That really was. And you know who I forgot about there, Mike? Man, Steve Smith of the Giants, that wide receiver. Talk about a guy who had a chance to be a superstar and injuries screwed him over, you know? He led the NFL in receiving one year. And it, it's, you know, you barely remember him now this, this far away and this long ago. Felix Jones, too. <laughs> Felix yes. Jones scoring that touchdown. It, 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 here's the thing about watching these old games. And, you know, unless it's a star player, a superstar transcendent player, you forget about them. Remember the year Darren McFadden came out in 2008. Jerry Jones had never drafted a guy from Arkansas. And he wanted Darren McFadden, and he didn't draft him, but he took Felix Jones, his running mate from the same backfield later in the first round became the first guy that Jerry Jones ever drafted from his alma mater I mean these names are going to pop up watch those games you're going to be reminded of guys like Steve Smith Felix Jones or Pitts Life
Cam Newton has been posting workout videos over the course of the past week since he was released by the Carolina Panthers. Still waiting for his next opportunity, and he's made it clear with some of the things he has typed into social media with that indecipherable font that he will have an axe to grind in 2020 once he gets a new team. So, today's draft. The people with an axe to grind in 2020, it can be anyone, players, coaches, GMs, owners, anybody, anyway, anyhow. Chris, give me the trivia question, and if I get it right, I get the first pick. Okay, here we go. All right. Uh, oops, wait, I'm lost here. I lost my spot here. Hold on one second. Here we go. I got, That's fine. I got lost it on my text. We got nowhere else to go. Okay, we got here we go. Sorry. Here we go. Cam Newton, the first. he's the first number one overall pick to be cut by the team that drafted him since whom? Okay, I repeat. There, there, who was the last number one pick to be cut by the team that drafted them? Wow. Cut by the team yeah. that drafted them. I, 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 I can't think of anybody other than Jamarcus Russell. Good job, big am I guy. Right or am I wrong? You oh, are right. right. I, it right. Yes. I thought it was a trick. I thought it was a trick question. Uh, no, I thought good there was job, somebody man. between 2011 and now. All right, Jamarcus Russell, see you later. And first one for me, look, it's easy to say Cam Newton, but I, Cam Newton is going to make it clear to us publicly that he's got an axe to grind. A guy who is not – I'm not taking Cam Newton. Take it off the thing. I'm taking Tom Brady as my pick because he – he's never going to say it. He's never going to acknowledge it. But that fire is going to burn inside of him because at the end of the day, he's going to convince himself the Patriots didn't want him. And the Patriots are going to try to sell the idea that Tom wanted to leave. But at the bottom of it all, he believed that Bill didn't want him. And I think he is going to be motivated and he's going to be determined and he's going to do everything in his power to show that they screwed up by letting him walk away. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, yes, he's it's it's the, the way any NFL competitor kind of is wired in their brain. You're, you're going to fool yourself to being, oh, I feel disrespected. And he has a right to feel that way. I mean, come on. He's one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest, certainly the most decorated. And I, I'm sure he is going to feel a little bit cheated by the New England Patriots to a degree. But I'm with you. He's going to be motivated this year to show everybody you know, it wasn't Belichick. I'm still really good. Screw you. And I got two good years left in me. So I'm with you. Not a bad pick there. I mean, I got to go with Cam Newton. I think that's just the obvious one. You know, it, it is. I mean, Cam Newton has about as much of a right to be pissed off as anybody in football right now. You know, one, hey, he's getting disrespected as a professional, right? Just because of, you know, yeah, injury history and all that. Who's going to sign him? We don't know. Carolina didn't want him. But, I mean, I think you got a, like an extra axe to grind when, you know, the Carolina Panthers, in, in my opinion, kind of did him dirty and let him go with the, you know, at the, the midnight hour to basically say, oh, yeah, go try to find a trade or find somebody else where all the seats have already been filled. So that, to me, is going to motivate Cam Newton, let alone I think he was motivated already because he's been injured the last two years and hasn't been able to show, you know, what kind of player he really is capable of being. I think you're you're absolutely right, and he. I think he's going to be great wherever he lands, and it's amazing to me that there has not. And I understand that the COVID nineteen situation makes it impossible to to give the guy a physical, but the fact we've heard nothing 
the fact that, that there's no sense of anybody that's going to make a move on him when they have a chance to do it. Surely there are teams that are looking at Cam Newton, looking at the other options and realizing, holy crap, Cam Newton's our guy. And we talked about this earlier. The, the message from Colin Coward yesterday, this take that, call, that, that Cam Newton and Tyrod Taylor are basically the same guy. I think that's coming straight from the Chargers to Colin Coward, and it tells me the Chargers have decided not to make a move for Cam Newton and to and to leave it with Tyrod Taylor, unless they are trying to leverage Cam Newton to reduce his financial expectations. But that that's not Coward's idea. That was planted to him, I believe, by the Chargers, and it's very telling as to where the Chargers are. And if the Chargers aren't in on Cam Newton, I don't know who's going to be, but I think plenty of teams should be. All right, next one for me. Now, there's a difference between having an axe to grind and actually being able to swing the axe once you've ground the axe, and that's Derek Carr. Because I, I think he's destined to no longer be the Raiders quarterback by next year. It looks like he's still going to get one more chance this year. But after all the Tom Brady talk that for a while was kind of real and bringing in Marcus Mariota to potentially be the Ryan Tannehill to Mariota that Mariota could be this year to Derek Carr and and be the guy that the Raiders can turn to if Carr would need to be benched. And now he's going to have to sweat out whether or not the Raiders are going to draft somebody. They're reportedly talking to Justin Herbert. So, uh, you know, Carr, uh, a little thin-skinned anyway, but I think he's got multiple reasons to be upset and to get himself focused and to try to turn it into a positive. And I, I assume this is the psychology of John Gruden, Chris. He wants to do that. He wants to make him mad. He wants to push his buttons, and he hopes that that results in a higher level of performance from Derek Carr this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, one, he wants competition at the position. He does. I don't think he cares who you are. Two, yes, he wants you to feel that, hey, there's a hot poker really close to my butt here, and I, I got to keep going and pushing forward, or I'm going to have a big red mark on my butt, all right? So, yes, he is that way, let alone, you know, if you do get hurt or aren't playing well, he wants to have options, to, as I always used to tell you. You know, he looks at his offense as a, a real awesome red Ferrari, and he doesn't want to give the keys to that red Ferrari to anybody. So, yes, if the starter gets hurt, he wants to have somebody he can trust as being the backup, too. And, yeah, Derek Carr is going to have to sweat it out because if Gruden does like Justin Herbert, I wouldn't put it past him to, to draft a guy like that. I certainly wouldn't. Um, all right, man, there's a lot of options to pick here. Um, I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon of the Denver Broncos. All right, Melvin Gordon, you know, I look at him and just go, man, you know, yes, does he have an ax to grind? One, he's got a pro probably a little bit of an ax to grind with himself. He's probably kicking himself a little bit going, man, I left money on the table with the Los Angeles Chargers. And look, I signed for less the next year. So he's probably pissed off about that. He's going to want to show the world that he is worth big time running back money. He stayed in the division. So he's going to get to see the Chargers twice a year. And I think he's going to want to show them and, and shove it up where the sun don't shine to them to say, hey, look, you know, I'm the bell cow running back for, you know, the Denver Broncos here and having a great year. And, and, and you guys should have signed me back. So I look at all those factors and look at Melvin Gordon as a guy to be extra motivated, let alone in a chance to succeed. Pat Shermer likes to run the football. I like his run game design. And you know, I think Mike Munchak's one of the best offensive line coaches in all of football and Fangio is going to want to run the ball. So I look for Melvin Gordon to have a big year and to shut up a lot of the haters of the world.
I was so hoping that you were going to say that Melvin Gordon is going to self-grind himself. I thought that was coming. <laughs> but but you're right. He's he's his own worst enemy here. He admitted in his introductory conference call with the Broncos that he probably shouldn't have held out into the regular season. He skipped four games. He got nothing out of it. I remember when we interviewed him at the Super Bowl, one of his handlers was giving me a little attitude after it. Oh, did you tell him uh, what a mistake his holdout was? I said, no, he knows. <laughs> he knows. He's very he real with knows. himself. That's, yeah. yeah, that's what I like about the guy. I, I've been around Melvin a few times. He's very honest, open. He's not. He's in reality. Uh, and yeah, he's, oh, you know, he's, he's cool that way. I, he really is. I, I root for him. He's one of those humans you meet in football where you just go, that's a good guy. I see the talent. He's built like a Greek God. He's had some injury issues. He went for it. Yeah. He's worried. He's plays running back. He gets killed for a living. I mean, he gets crushed. So he wanted to maximize what he could do. I'm not going to be mad at him for that, but at the same time, it cost him a few dollars. Next one for me is another running back who played in the same city as Melvin Gordon, and that's Todd Gurley. And look, I mean, Todd Gurley, on one hand, you can look at it and say he really doesn't have an axe to grind because this is the reality of having a knee injury from college that didn't dramatically impact his draft stock. He was still the 10th overall pick in 2015. And after a few years of playing at a high level and being the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year in 2017, the knee just couldn't hold up anymore and he's done everything he can and he's fought and he's worked and it just got to the point where his contract no longer is justifiable based upon his current health but here's where he has an axe to grind and this struck me as very unusual Chris when he admitted to Chris Long last week on Long's podcast that Gurley didn't see his release by the Rams coming my first thought was he's he's lying to us surely he saw it coming Peter King and I talked about this on Friday and I assume you you weren't up and watching the show then Peter I made saw a great some point. of it. Yeah. Peter made a great point. The point is that with a guy like Sean McVay as your coach, maybe you don't see it coming because maybe Sean McVay's got that Pete Carroll, raw, raw, everything is great, everything is positive, you're my guy, you're my guy, until you're no longer his guy. And then it does hit you like a bag full of bricks upside the head when he finally tells you you're gone. And if that's how it went down, if it, it's a little at John Gruden, right? You're my guy until you're not my guy anymore. And and who was one of his mentors? It was John Gruden. And I think that, that Gurley may come out of this experience pissed off about being led to believe he was still part of the Rams' plans, being led to believe he's still Sean McVay's guy, being led to believe that they're still going to build an offense around him, and then all of a sudden he gets wadded up into a ball and thrown in the trash. That's going to give him an axe to grind with the Falcons in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I agreed on all points. Now, you know, he can take some solace in the fact that, hey, he was paid very handsomely, and they took oh, a yes. chance on him. They took a chance on him not only in the draft, right, but also by giving him the, the contract extension. You know, he, he was a guy that came out in the draft of the torn ACL, and they drafted him in the top 10. So, you know, I think you got to take that into account, too. And to your point about Sean McVay, I think that's very real. You know, I think a little bit like McVay and Gruden. Yeah, there's the good cop, bad cop aspect between the GM and the head coach. The head coach needs to stay in favor with the players. And, you know, you know Sean McVay. I know Sean McVay. He's one of those guys. He just, he doesn't, he's not a fake to me. I think he really loves his players. He wanted, I'm sure he was like, man, can't we keep Todd Gurley to the last very minute? He was probably hoping that could work out, which is, yes, probably blindsided Todd Gurley to a degree. I'm sure they've talked since then, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, Todd Gurley is going to be motivated and pissed off and want to show everybody that he's still one of the better running backs in football. All right. 
Well, the, 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 the deal's not, still not official in Atlanta. They could try to take him back the way they took back Michael Brockers. So who knows? Maybe uh, that yeah. story's not over yet. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I think there could be a few stories like that in the NFL. All right, I'm going to stay with the Rams. And one that I bet you wasn't on your radar, but should it be? Jalen Ramsey. You oh, had him on there? No, it wasn't. Jaylen, no, I Jared Goff. Oh, Jalen Ramsey to me. He's got he got an axe to grind. First off, Jalen Ramsey's you know been arguably not arguably forget arguably he's been one of the three best corners in football the last three years in the NFL. You know whether you want to say he was one, two, or three, whatever. I don't care. All I know is he's one of the best cover corners and best corners in all of football. And he's sitting there and he's played, he's done it the right way. He's been a team guy. He hasn't been disgruntled, but. Still, no long-term contract offer for Jalen Ramsey, the best at his position in the whole sport. He's got to be looking at the free agency this year going, what? But Byron Jones is making $16.5 million a year? You know, he's probably looking at Darius Slay, James Bradbury, and no disrespect to any of those guys. I think they're phenomenal players, but Jalen Ramsey's looking at them going, I've been better, I am better, and why can't I get a long-term contract and somebody pay me already? So I look at Jalen Ramsey as one of those guys that's going to be pissed off. He's pissed off anyways when he's walking on the field, but he'll have an extra edge to him to prove to everybody that he deserves to be the highest paid cornerback in football. And I think, you know, that happens, whether it happens during the season or after the season, it's going to happen. He's making $13.7 million this year in his fifth year option because he was a top 10 pick. Right. But look. He's just like we talked about Laramie Tunsil earlier on the TV side. Yeah. Having leverage over the Texans because of what they gave up to get him. Ramsey's got leverage over the Rams. They gave up two ones and a four to get Jalen Ramsey. And, and I remember Deion Sanders, who's connected to Ramsey because they're both Florida State guys. Deion Sanders in the immediate aftermath of that trade saying Ramsey may not be with the Rams for all that long. Now, look, they can franchise tag him for a couple of years before it becomes too expensive to keep him. But the question is, do you want a guy who doesn't want to be there? If he decides after this year or during this year, I want out. See, that's the risk you take when you trade for a guy who was willing to draw that line in the sand with a team and say, I want out. You may be that next team where he plays that I want out card. And what are you going to do? You ain't going to get two ones and a four for him this time. That's for damn sure. So look, I, the Rams, I'll tell you what, the, the Rams have been very aggressive but man, yeah, there's been some, some questionable moves. They, they've made yeah. some mistakes. The Jared Goff contract, right. the Ramsey trade without a contract, the Todd Gurley contract, and, and that team could be starting to go in the other direction. All right, this is the last time I have to deal with the radio clock forcing me to take a break before I'd like to. We have to take a break. <laughs> we'll finish this Tuesday edition of PFT Live right after this. Last segment of our last show on NBC Sports Radio, which goes away as of today, R-I-P-I-P, NBC Sports Radio, as operated by Westwood One. You can still see and hear PFT Live. We are going nowhere, folks. NBCSN, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern with a re-air of 9 to 11, except on those occasions when we go live for four hours. Stream it on the NBC Sports app and NBCSports.com. The audio available every day, Sirius XM Channel 211, the TuneIn app, the PFT Live podcast. We are going nowhere, and the radio breaks are gone. We don't have to deal with that anymore, Chris. All we have to deal with is at the end of every hour, we got to shut up so they can reset the hour. Other than that, we have a free and clear palette on which to spew nonsense. I can't wait. For two hours. I a day. can't wait. 
Because there was a few segments today, in all honesty, where I just want, like the Dave Gettleman, New York Giants conversation. I wanted to get into it more, make some more points. But you're right. It's just hard to flush it all out. So it will be nice to have that little extra time to, to dive a little deeper into some of these conversations. What? I don't know. Maybe that's a drawback. I can just I can picture you. You're like Congress. The more money you give Congress to spend, the more they spend. So you're going to be even more than you are now. Okay, uh, copy paste, copy paste, snacky comment. How dare you say that? <laughs> um, the NFL has a conference call later today in place of the annual league meeting. Chris, we'd be in Florida today if the world hadn't turned yeah. upside down, getting ready for more coverage of votes and interviewing coaches, GMs, and owners. Today they are having a conference call among all the owners, and among other things, they are going to vote on – Changes to the playoffs where there is going to be, unless they don't get enough votes for it, I think they will get the votes for it, two extra teams, one per conference, only one team gets a bye, the top seed in the AFC, the top seed in the NFC. If 24 or more teams vote in favor of it, it will happen in 2020 where there will be expanded playoffs. And uh, reportedly, CBS and NBC picking up extra playoff games, potentially, if that's what happens. So that's happening today. It'll give us something to react to tomorrow. I still don't know how I feel about it because yeah. I think that buy is so valuable that we're going to have one seed versus one seed in every Super Bowl, and I don't really like that. But yeah, that uh, I scares like more me. football, and I like more playoff football. Yeah, but I, I'm with you. That does scare me. I mean, it just it swings the pendulum more in the favor of the one seed. Now, I do like – you know, that it makes the regular season a little more competitive that way. But I, I think it's a little much. And also, hey, Mike, you know, I'm with you. I want more football, too. I love that. But it's, you know, scary to me. You know, again, I, I, I use Pittsburgh Steelers as the perfect example this year. You know, were they a playoff team? They couldn't even beat the backups of the Baltimore Ravens in a game they had to win. Did we really want to see, Doug, you know, Duck Hodges and, and, and Mason Rudolph in a playoff game? And then maybe that defense hurts Patrick Mahomes, you know, somewhere down the line. Maybe Patrick Mahomes sprains his ankle because Bud Dupree falls on it. And then the playoffs are ruined and they're not the same. And the number one seed is going to the Super Bowl. That's what I worry about. Yeah. And I think what will happen is if the one seed versus one seed Super Bowl occurs four or five years in a row, there will be a groundswell more from the media and the fans to just go ahead and get rid of all the buys and make it a 16 team field. And the owner's attitude will be, well, if you insist. We'll have more playoff games. We'll gladly make more money, and we'll give you what you want. But I'd rather forget the half measure. If you're going to get rid of one buy, get rid of both buys and make the one seed play as well. And I know that's another can of worms, Chris. Because yeah. you get the eight seed, and the eight seed isn't worthy either. But at least make the one seed play that extra game. Yeah, no, I hear that. But, yeah, then what's the re reward for the season? I don't know, you know. And, again, too, the owners meeting, they got to figure out the COVID-19 response. I I'm still just – is the season going to happen? Are we going to get all the games in? I don't know. I mean, there's just so many things. Farewell, NBC Sports Radio.